In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Mary, Tower of Ivory. St. Nicholas. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to another episode of Tower of Ivory, looking at life through a Catholic lens. Uh, and this month we're tackling a subject that affects many people's lives. Uh, and some estimate, and that's dealing with depression. Some estimate that close to 9% of non-institutionalized Americans have had at least one major depressive episode in the year 2020. And according to the World Health Organization, about 3% of the world's total population is depressed. That means that Americans right, were a little more likely than the rest of the world uh, to suffer from depression than people residing in other countries. And if we keep going with these statistics, right, even those of us without depression will get a little depressed by the numbers alone. Uh, but the point of this talk isn't to talk about depression in a way that we all get sad together. Uh, the point of this talk is to give you some observations to think about. Right? I'm, not, I'm not a healthcare provider, I'm a priest, maybe healthcare for the soul. Uh, but, uh, you know, uh, so take my evaluations for whatever they're worth and use whatever is helpful and you can forget the rest. It's no problem. Uh, since we're talking about depression, we're talking about a feeling. Right? And I think it's helpful that if we categorize depression by cause, and that's going to figure out the way how to treat it, right? Because you want to give the right, right remedy for the right thing that you're experiencing as humans. We're complex, right? We're a composite of body and soul. And so we need to take a holistic approach to depression. And that means that we can get depressed from three different places, right? The body, the mind, or our soul. And I don't say just one because many times there are a lot of little interactions that go on between uh, them and within us. So it's usually not just one that affects a person at a time, but you usually can get to a root cause. Uh, but there is a chain reaction when, when one thing starts going wrong in us, something else will follow. So if we begin at the most basic, this type of depression is one that has a physical cause. Uh, many times the, the neurotransmitter in our brain, serotonin, is to blame. Uh, if our bodies produce too little of it, or if we break it down too quickly, our mood can dampen uh, very, very fast. And if we remember from bioethics about the best treatments for diseases, uh, we treat like with like, right? So since physical depressions have a physical cause, then we have to correct uh, them with a physical cause in turn and a physical treatment. Uh, so there are some little ways of increasing uh, serotonin levels and also dopamine levels, uh, and that's increasing the little bit of happiness within our bodies. So for instance, did you know that smiling can increase your mood? Putting pressure on the, the sides of your cheeks and exercising those muscles uh, can actually cause you to release more dopamine, which elevates your mood just a little bit. Right? And if you're not in the mood to smile, what you can do is you can put a pencil sideways in your mouth and bite down on it, and you'll be using those same the, the right muscles that way. Uh, oxytocin is another uh, one of these uh, hormones. It's affectionately called the cuddle hormone. It's released to help us bond with, with the people that we touch. And that means that hugging one another can be a small way to give you a little 
a little oxytocin boost here and there. What affects many people in northern countries during the season of winter is when you know the days grow colder and shorter. And that's seasonal dis dis seasonal affective disorder, or SAD. Uh, and there is also its cousin, uh, sudden synodromal seasonal affective disorder, which is a milder form of SAD. So some people, uh, this is means that they can become a little more blue as the sunlight wanes during our northern winters. And the actual causes of these disorders, it's disputed, but the treatment for them is not. Uh, what can help us is getting a little bit more sunlight. So if you make it a point to go outside during the day and make sure that the sun can hit your skin, it'll help your immune system a little bit, but also give you a, a little boost uh, of, of happiness if you're dealing with uh, SAD. So exercise can also be another good way to increase mood. As you use muscle, right, you stretch and you damage your muscle tissue, but this causes your body to release endorphins and those decrease your sensation of pain, but they also give you a little, a little feeling of well-being too. Uh, so there's this, the famous runner's high, right? If someone puts down a lot, a lot of miles, then they can get this sensation of, um, you know, being relaxed, of, of every, being very calm, even they've, though they've just been out running for hours, right? And they, they should be anything but. So those are little ways to increase physical mood, right? Uh, and if a person has severe depression and the cause is physical, then they should consider medication. Uh, if he's able to take medication for a physical depression, you also have to, he, he has to weigh the, uh, the side effects of whatever drugs there are and, and choose one that, that he thinks he can deal with. Uh, some out there might be thinking, you know, people have been dealing with emotion for thousands of years and our ancestors didn't have pills. And that's true. But physical depression, in a unique way out of the three types of depression, right, it has this sort of premise that we're not feeling the correct emotion. Right? That's all depression that kind of underpins it, that we're experiencing the wrong thing for, for whatever we're doing. Some of the methods I gave of increasing mood are slight, and they might seem a little bit like cheating, like little life hacks, or maybe a little disingenuous, like smiling when you're not happy. But you have to realize that when you're not experiencing the correct motion for what you're doing, right? You have to try to correct it by using using different ways, and the different ways that you use they'll vary with how extreme your depression is. Obviously, if more severe depression means more severe treatment, and so you'll need a stronger corrective agent for a stronger physical depression. But back to feeling the wrong emotion, there is a lesson in there. And that we should all have this sort of natural distrust of our emotions, right? We, our emotions can be wrong, and many times they are. So emotions are also fleeting, right? They're unstable. They're not something good that we should put our trust in. Absolutely, like, examine them. They can tell you something of, you know, where your heart's at, where your mind is at. But to make decisions based on them, that's kind of what your cats do, right? They make decisions just based on kind of whatever they're feeling, whatever their instinct tells them. But we're not cats, right? We're human beings made in the image of God. Sometimes physical depression will go away on its own given time, right? Just like SAD, once the once spring comes around, you can get out a little bit more. Things might get better for you. But if de depression, it's, uh, it's truly this disease that someone's experiencing, and there's a lot going wrong with neurotransmitters in the brain, uh, then those feelings of sadness, they're not going to be so fleeting. And this is when you should seek medical help.
Uh, otherwise, there's you know a little a little trick to rousing yourself out of feeling this malaise. Uh, so your prefrontal cortex, right, the the part of your your brain that's under your forehead, this front part there, it's the part that's associated with higher thinking. So whenever we try to solve a math problem, whenever we have to work through an issue and there are multiple steps to it, that's the part of the brain that we're using. And what's interesting is that when you engage that part of your brain, it takes a lot more energy than the other parts of your brain when you engage it, right? So uh, that means that it's taking a lot more sugar, a lot more glucose. And the other parts kind of take a back seat to that because that's the priority. So emotion resides in the limbic system, kind of if you know, you're going more towards the brain stem, but it's more in the center of the brain. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit lower. But that means that the prefrontal cortex can override emotions, many of the emotions, but you have to engage it. And you might ask, Father, you know, I don't just carry around, you know, math problems on me all the time. How do I engage my prefrontal cortex if I, uh, you know, I'm just in the middle of nowhere? And the answer is by analyzing things. Analyze something, you know, analyze anything. But I think even more important for people who are experiencing depression, analyze that sensation of being depressed, right? Because once you're doing that, right, you might be experiencing a little bit of uh, anything different in your limbs, or maybe a heaviness in your eyes, a heaviness in your body. When you start to think like, well, what does that really feel like? You know, what does that mean? And you start to pay attention to that and you're focusing on it. Uh, what that does, it's sometimes enough to get you out of an emotional funk because you're overriding this other physical part of, of your body uh, and you're kind of correcting the emotion by doing that. So once again, right, uh, you're using your brain, but uh, it's a physical solution for a physical problem. Uh, using the brain as a thinking organ can help combat bodily depression. And if your depression is physical, right, at the end of the day, you decide whether or not you're going to accept that feeling, uh, whether or not you can get on with your life and just sort of deal with it, or uh, whether you're just sort of going to give into it, right, and just lay on the couch all day, watch Netflix, whatever it is. Maybe you just lost a loved one and being sad makes sense, right? But maybe you had a great day with friends and family and, and you're getting down on yourself for no reason uh, particularly. Uh, there's a good chance that you're, you're living a, a moral life, or if you are living a moral life, then there's a good chance that the cause of your depression is physical, right? And you should look a little bit more into that. So the second cause of depression is the mind. Right. And what I mean by this is your thinking or your, your general frame of mind. You're in a depressed state because of your perception of some situation or yourself. Uh, we see much of this whenever someone's life changes and they have these expectations. And all of a sudden, their expectations aren't met. As people age, they slow down. Muscles don't contract as hard as they used to. Hands aren't as nimble as they once were. Everything seems to hurt. Right? Someone has the same expectations on himself uh, when, he's, when he's 80 as when he's 20. Right? He's going to get down on himself because he's not 20 years old anymore. Right? His body's gone through a lot of wear and tear, and it's, life is going to be a little bit different. You know, he has less energy, and uh, you know, things like pain and weakness get in the way. And that's why it's important to have reasonable expectations for yourself. Now, of course, always challenge yourself to do better. Uh, but the bar has to be adjusted to where you are in life. Uh, think about what you can do and then modify your goals to, to fit that. What's reasonable for you? 
uh, you know, injuries can completely change careers and a person with a life-changing injury can decide to either just be sad about the situation or, right, new frame of mind, they can try to figure out how they are to navigate this new path in life and how they're to pursue kind of new goals that they've set for themselves. But at the other end of life, right, if someone in high school, they have, they put these unrealistic expectations for, let's say it's a, it's a young man, right? And he's put these expectations on his life that he's never going to be able to fulfill. Maybe it's, he wants to be a professional uh, football player, right? When he's five feet tall and 110 pounds, he's never played a day of football in his life. It's a terrible goal, right? It's, it's an unreal expectation for him to think that he's ever going to achieve, uh, you know, uh, status or he's never going to get on a professional football team uh, because of the physicality the, is just not there. And he can become saddened if he really thinks that he can do this, right? If he's taking all these steps and, you know, he's applying to the right colleges and trying to, to go into all these tryouts for, for teams and he keeps getting rejected over and over and over again, right? It's just, well, he's just not making a good decision, a prudent one based on who he is, based on what God's given him in life and based on what his capabilities are. If people base their goals in reason and not emotion, uh, then this is going to help them experience some sense of success in life, uh, which in turn should make them feel glad and grateful to God that they've been able to do something well. Uh, whenever we do a good moral action, uh, St. Thomas Aquinas says, you know, there's something called the, the fruity at the end of the action, the fruit, right? You get to enjoy what you've done, that you've done something well. And if you're not giving that to yourself ever by having these, you know, sky high expectations, then you'll, you'll never get those little, those little pieces of enjoyment in your life. What also affects your frame of mind is your life situation. So perhaps it's also some bad life choices or bad decisions, but part of your attitude lies in humility, right? And realizing that you didn't do as well as you could have, right? Everyone makes mistakes. Some people spend a little more time paying for those mistakes than others. Uh, but then you have to understand why you are where you are, and then you should formulate a goal, right? How can you get to where you want to be, and how can you reasonably get there? A caution about formulating goals is that you should never make experiencing an emotion your goal. Right? For instance, do not make becoming happy the goal that you want to move towards. Because as I said, emotions, they're fleeting. Uh, they're, they're like a cat. You can chase happiness around the room. You can put it in your lap, and at the end of the day, right? It's just going to, it's just going to jump off and run away from you. Uh, that's emotions are, are just as fickle as cats are, but think of happiness more as not something you go for, but just as a symptom, as something extra that you get when you're doing the right thing, right? Happiness should never be that, that end goal, that end pursuit, but, uh, it can come about if we're on the right track to God and we can't expect to achieve any sort of happiness if we're not living as we're supposed to, that is, as God has designed us and how God has told us that we are to live our lives as given to us, you know, through the Bible and through his, his one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But when reordering your life, firstly, start with your state of life. Uh, you know, people tend to make it a little bit more complicated than it needs to be. They might think, oh, you know, I'm, I'm married with, you know, three kids and a stay-at-home mom now, but I always wanted to be a rocket scientist, right? I never, you know, I, I got my undergrad, but I just wish I could have gone on and gotten, you know, the master's and the doctorate. Well, what's simple is you're a mom now, right? That's where your priority is, is raising your children, raising them well. 
so it probably wouldn't make sense for you to go back to college right and, and get the master's and the doctorate because you have other things to do right now other more important things uh, same thing if you know you're a single teenage student uh, then your obligations are going to all fall into those categories right be the best single teenage student you can be don't go living your life as if you were married don't go living your life as if you're you know the mother of your siblings or you know if you're, you're as if you're out in the working world um, you know strive for excellence in your life situation whatever it is and ask yourself you know how can you be a better student how can you be a better son or daughter a better mother or father and as a teenager, you know, how would you like to see yourself grow in the next year or two? What, what would you like to see happen within you? So striving to live the best way that you can uh, is accepting your state of life. And it's challenging yourself to be better. Right? Couch potatoes don't challenge themselves to do anything. So when they get depressed about their bodies, about the world, about their friends, or their lack thereof, they should realize that they can do something about their situation. But, you know, that new living situation requires that they change, right? They can't expect something new to happen if they just stay on the couch all day. It's going to be more of the same, right? I remember when I was in college, there was one girl who was, you know, kind of bemoaning her situation that she had no luck with men and that they all mistreated her. Well, what change has to happen there, right? Change the type of guy that, you know, you choose to be around. The quote unquote, you know, bad boy will not change and become, you know, all of a sudden sensitive and, and caring and like chick flicks just because he's around you, right? He's going to keep acting like a jerk because that's who he's chosen to be, right? And that's the type of behavior that you're actually reinforcing by dating him, right? You're telling him that it's okay uh, and you're rewarding him uh, by being in a relationship with him. So changing requires a certain level of self-awareness and willpower to do something different. Uh, if nothing changes, then nothing changes as the saying goes, and you're going to keep repeating the same mistakes over and over and over again. So identify what's going wrong, and then think of ways you can avoid whatever is going wrong. If it's a relationship and you're not married to the person, end of the relationship, right? Simple. Uh, the point of dating is to discover whether or not this person will make a good spouse. If you find along the way that they won't, well, you know, best to save yourself time and them time, and uh, give yourself the chance of uh, a, a happy life, right? And, and leave them. So if, if they won't or, you know, they're too demanding, then, uh, you know, you have to take an, an easy way out. And so long as you're dating in the correct way, I've already outlined that in a previous talk, I think from last year, um, you know, it'll, it'll help you to, to date in the right way. But once again, we see the need for having good metaphysics, that is being able to identify an underlying problem. Uh, finding like the problem that's at the heart of something helps us get the right solution. And solutions should always be sought after that are charitable and that fulfill justice to all the parties that are involved. Uh, because if you're selfish when you're doing what looks like the right thing, then your intentions have corrupted your action. Right? You have to do the right thing with love and you have to make sure you're doing the right thing for the right reasons. Your overall frame of mind is very important if you're always negative about things, then you know don't be surprised when you when everything makes you sad. Uh, try to reframe a situation. How can you find the positive in something? Look for how it can be worse and be grateful that it isn't. Look for some success, even though you might have failed at whatever it is. 
right? Always look for something to thank God for, and you can always find something. Because as I said, it can always be worse, uh, no matter what situation you find yourself in. Which uh, brings me to another point about honesty, right? And that no one is perfect. We are to strive for perfection, but we're not supposed to get depressed when we fall short. And this is one way of letting go of our own personal expectations, and it'll help us to please God. Because when we do, we're getting rid of kind of these emotions that get in the way between us, and you're allowing uh, God to yourself to live for God, and that becomes easier, and uh, and that that's a better thing to do to live for God than just trying to avoid being depressed all the time. Live live that single-mindedness for the Lord, and then everything will fall into place. Don't try to find you know all these little places right that you want, the happiness that you want, the avoiding that and the other thing. Live for God. And all those things will sort themselves out in due time. Pursue God, who's right, who's truth, who is the way, who is the life, and he will bring your life into divine order. Not that you'll start riding down easy street, but you'll be doing the right thing. And you know that when you do that, God's close to you, and he's not going to leave you. Uh, having and living out the Catholic faith is enough to set your mind at ease. Uh, it offers consolations of spirit and peace of mind when you can identify in your life what you're supposed to be doing and how God has made you to live. Uh, we have to cooperate with our nature in the way that God has made us. Uh, and when we do so, then we can live better lives. A way of testing yourself to see if you're living how God wants you to live is by asking yourself if you're fulfilling your obligations in life. In justice, there are some basics that we have to be doing, and these are called obligations. Uh, they're non-negotiable and they have to happen. So obligations to God are praying every single day, going to Mass on Sundays, following the other precepts of the Church, like uh, the Church can regulate fasting, uh, confession once a year, right, abstinence on holy days, those sorts of things. But along the lines of more natural obligations, you know, are you striving to be the best daughter, wife, mother, sister, friend, co-worker that you possibly can be? Or are you trying to do something like climb the corporate ladder, even though uh, you haven't been giving your current job your all? Now, if you can't do a lower job well, then how are you supposed to do a higher job well? Uh, and if you can't be where you are, then you're going to be unhappy no matter where you go in life. Uh, so try to, uh, try to be kind of in the moment, kind of be able to live your life uh, where you are and, and try to find ways that you can love God in the life that you've been given. Maybe you don't like your job, but you're the provider for your family. So realizing you have to be a good father to your children, it's going to make going to work just a little bit easier every day because you know that you're doing the right thing. And it's not pretending that your job is something it isn't, but it's helping you accept your situation as it is for the good of your family, for the good of raising children, for being uh, a dad who can provide for uh, his, his young ones. So there's a hierarchy of goods. And if you're fulfilling the obligations in your state of life and striving to do a little bit extra, then you're going to be making progress. You're going to be helping that frame of mind that you should have. You know, stick with, with who you are and what you have now. And uh, a benefit of the Catholic frame of mind is that whenever we experience some sufferings or we endure some pain, we can offer that to God as a prayer. Uh, this can be either for yourself or for others. Anything that might otherwise depress you 
can then all of a sudden be transformed. It's another opportunity to think about Jesus, to think about his passion, his, his road to Calvary, and his death for you and each and every person in the world. And because of God's strength, you realize you can endure everything for the love of Christ, uh, that God gives you the grace that you need to overcome uh, whatever happens in your life. But we just have to open ourselves to it. We have to be open to God and what he wants to work within us. Remember that physical treatments will not cure mental depression. So, you know, the, the smiling, right, the, the hugs, the getting a little bit more sunlight, that's not going to cure this mental state of mind, right? That's only going to help you take the ease off of uh, a physical depression. But the mental ones, uh, you know, you have to change the way that you, your perception, the way you look at things, the way you, you approach them and try to live your life in the best way that you can live your life. Uh, pills might treat symptoms, but the underlying cause isn't going to be addressed if you try to treat a mental depression with pills. Uh, so the person will be stuck taking antidepressants and, and they're not ever going to get to the root cause of why they're feeling the way that they're feeling. And that lies in their thinking. So the third cause of depression is spiritual. Uh, you probably don't hear anything about this cause because medical science and psychology don't really care very much about the spiritual. Uh, psychology might only advise someone to practice religion if it helps them make, make them feel good, right? AKA it treats their symptoms. That's kind of the only use that the, those fields have for religion. But this type of uh, spiritual depression, it doesn't happen when, you're, when your car breaks down, doesn't happen when your dog runs away. Uh, that's known as having a bad day. We all have them. And those types of things, they fall under that mental sadness. Uh, and only, they'd only be depression, physical depression, if they're more long-term. However, spiritual depression is deeper than either mental or physical depression. And it's obviously, therefore, going to affect the other two because it's deeper. It's closer to you know, our being and who we are as people. Spiritual causes uh, for depression actually come uh, at two different extremes of a spectrum. So the first extreme is living a spirit, uh, a sinful life. God has given each person a conscience to help them know right from wrong. And conscience, it's a natural capacity to know the good. But however, since it's natural, it can be corrupted and it is, uh, it is fallible. That's why the church says we have to live our lives by a well-formed conscience. It's not enough just to do what you think is right all the time. You have to be uh, engaging it and, and learning more about what the church says and learning more about situations before you, know, you just sort of leap to what seems to be right. People can actually kill their conscience with a repeated sin, with a hardened heart. If you keep doing the wrong thing, uh, you're going to train yourself to want the wrong thing. Uh, and then you're really, you're, you're really going to be stuck in a rut. People who choose sin choose to live a life divorced from God. Uh, that is God who is our ultimate happiness. Any happiness we can experience in this life is only a shadow when we compare it to the happiness that God can bring a soul. Just as a person with an illness will have symptoms, the first type of spiritual depression is merely a symptom of a sinful life. Uh, so, of course, someone who misuses his body or mind or others is going to become depressed because he's depriving himself of what he was made to do. And he's depriving himself of God, his creator, by, by sin driving a wedge between the two of them. 
the correction for this type of spiritual depression is to stop sinning, to start building virtue, to amend your life, to get right with God. Uh, if you're a Catholic, confession, right? It, confessions many times is it's only the first step, but it's a necessary first step if someone is to experience healing. Uh, it can it forgives the guilt of sins, but many times there's still kind of you have to deal with what you've done, right? and there are consequences to that. Even though you're right with God and and you're okay there, uh, but there's still more that you you'd have to correct and amend in your life. But the next step after doing that, after beginning that process of going to God, is to do the right thing. If you want to feel as God wants you to feel. If you want to have peace and joy and even happiness, then you have to start living as he has designed you to live. Uh, if you uh, try to, you know, uh, make cookies and you don't follow the recipe, right, it's, who knows what you'll end up with. Right? It'll just be a big glob, a big mess. It's kind of like our lives, too. God's given us the recipe by giving us commandments for living a good human life and how we're supposed to be. Uh, you don't do that, then <laughs> your life is going to be a mess. We as creatures were made for virtue. And we see this. We have our, we like habits. We like routines. There's sort of a rhythm to life. And, uh, you know, if something's off, if you, you know, your spouse puts the, your toothbrush, moves it to the wrong side, you know, watch out, right? That's just <laughs> maybe ruined your day, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's the same thing with, with us. We We have to work to build these good habits. And when we do, it makes life easier for us. Uh, when you start practicing the good thing, you kind of get locked into doing the right thing, and it becomes easier and easier to act as you should. The virtuous man doesn't have to think about acting virtuously. He just does it because uh, he knows it's the right thing to do, uh, but he doesn't have to go and analyze it. As someone who's trying to move from vice to virtue, uh, they might have to do a lot of deliberation to think, well, is this the right thing to do? I'm not really sure. Uh, but the, the virtuous man just sort of has this intuition about it because he's practiced it so often that he just knows where his, his obligations to God are. So we use God's commandments as our guides and we start putting the Beatitudes into practice using our, that creativity to show our love for God. Deal with long-term illnesses might think that they're in a spiritual depression for different reasons, but a lot of times they're actually dealing with a sin and they don't know it. And that's the sin of despair. Sin of despair is against the theological virtue of hope, right? Uh, when, when Judas hanged himself after betraying our Lord, it was because he despaired. He knew that he had gravely sinned, and he thought that salvation wasn't available for him anymore. And sending an innocent man, the most innocent man in the world, to his death, uh, it just ate at Judas, and he gave in to that despair within him. Uh, but if Judas had repented, his life would have had a very different ending. But despair really is a lack of trust in God. It's doubting either that God is as powerful as he is, that he is omnipotent, he can do all things within his will, or it's denying that God gives us the necessary grace to overcome any obstacle in our way. We don't think that God gives us enough help, even though he absolutely does. He gives us more help than we can receive. The only person who, well, there were a few people who used that grace to its fullest, and that was the Blessed Virgin Mary. Right? She was the only one in history, uh, as well as St. John the Baptist and St. Joseph. Those, those three were the ones who were able to accept grace as much as they could uh, and then, and then uh, live to God's highest way, way of perfection. Despair as a sin is not part of the dark night of the soul, 
as St. John the Cross talked about it. Despair is a sin, and so spiritual depression can come about from a mental depression, which can be caused by mental illness, right? Person gets sick, person then thinks, oh, sickness is too much for me, and then what they despair that God isn't there for them anymore, right? So it's really, uh, they might think that they're in the dark night of the soul, and that there's this big tribulation. It is a tribulation, but it's not the spiritual one that they think it is. Remember the holistic view of the person with all our components, body, mind, and soul. Uh, what affects one is going to affect at least one other, for better or for worse. And our mind is sort of an abstraction of, of body, as it's, uh, you know, all those neural pathways in our brains, and soul, which is uh, a component uh, which affects the will and is able to influence kind of those bodily abstractions. Uh, but right, all three are all three are connected. And the other end of spiritual depression, and the opposite in in cause than sin, is the dark night of the soul. And the dark night of the soul is what happens to someone who's very advanced in the spiritual life. Uh, they've made so much progress that God now wants to take the, their progress into His own hands and do that. And so He does this by by purging them, by trying them. And this purgation is God's action alone. Uh, the spiritual life is many times about detaching from earthly things to free a soul to be with God. Uh, we can do much of this mortification with prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Uh, however, when the soul has made a lot of progress in these, sometimes God takes the reins. Uh, God actually has to be the one to detach a soul from their worldly attachments. And so the soul will experience the dark night. And it, the cause of this is, it is sort of a spiritual depression, uh, even though it might seem like it's physical or mental to a certain degree. But the difference is the depth of the depression uh, in the, the dark night. So think about in heaven, we're completely fulfilled by seeing God face to face in the beatific vision. We're completely happy, right? All our desires. And if you think about everything that you enjoy in this life, uh, even the, the sensation itself of enjoyment there's something underneath all of it that makes it enjoyable. Right? You can It's hard for us to separate the fact that we're enjoying something from the thing that it is. But in heaven, uh, right, absolutely we'll be sort of separated from these earthly things, and God will be the source of our enjoyment. Uh, and you can see this over and over again. People who, uh, they pursue the thing that makes them feel good, right, because they want to pursue that feeling instead of pursuing uh, what's actually good for them. But if you imagine not having a body, there's nothing to distract you from God. There's nothing to diminish your image of the Lord who is right in front of you in heaven. It's complete openness to the divine. And the sense of delight is deeper than anything spirit or anything physical or mental, because it's spiritual delight. It affects the very core of your being, and there's nothing to distract us or get it in the way of that. The opposing kingdom is hell, and in hell there's no vision of God. Uh, there's no pleasure, no enjoyment, only pain. And once again, without a physical body, there's nothing to distract us. Right? There's no endorphins to diminish pain. There's no serotonin to make us feel a little okay when something happens. Uh, there's nothing that uh, can distract us. Right? You know, we, we don't see something happening off in the distance, and that gets our attention. Uh, it's, it's just pure pain. And there's no drug to take to help someone feel better from the guilt that they're experiencing. 
Jesus says that the fire is never dying and the worm, the worm never dies. Uh, our conscience always eats at those who are in hell. Uh, and they experience torment in a far deeper way than they can in this life, either physical or mental. Because once again, it's a spiritual suffering and there's nothing to distract us from it. I think part of the, the issue with, you know, demons possessing people is it's almost like, uh, you know, they, by invading a body, uh, that they're kind of distracting themselves from the punishment of hell. That's why it'd be something desirable for them to kind of lessen their own, their own pain. So without bodies, spiritual delight and spiritual pain are both experienced to the maximum, and there's no getting away from either of them. Uh, so the one who experiences the dark night of the soul, they still have a body. But once again, this is that kind of pain. It's at the very core of their being. And like anything spiritual, the soul can't run away from it. God is the one who chastises it. And it's a little bit of time in purgatory too, uh, when, when the soul experiences the dark night. Because it can bring a very deep sense of desolation, unlike anything in this life. Uh, and getting through the dark night, it requires perseverance and faith, that not giving up. Uh, knowing that God is there. If you talk with people who truly experience the dark night, they never lose this sense of, of joy, right? They might have trouble, um, the, they know that God is still there and that he loves them, but they have trouble feeling him in prayer. Uh, they will be doing what's right, but they won't find any satisfaction in it. And that means that this type of depression, it's good. And it's only for souls that are advanced in the way of perfection, who have built that virtue, who don't need kind of this, uh, you know, pain pleasure system to help them do the right thing with their conscience. God takes away the rewards from them so that anything you would think might, you know, condition a person to love God, uh, that's all out of the way. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a choice that they make in spite of the hardship, in spite of how they're getting nothing. The, the true love that they have for the Lord shines through in these moments of the dark night of the soul. And if a person is still struggling against mortal sin, uh, know that they're not experiencing the dark night of the soul. Right? They're feeling the effects of choosing their sins over God. Uh, and it's the same thing with the illnesses, right? Uh, maybe there's a component to it, but uh, there are some very specific, specific symptoms um, of the dark night. It's deeper than any depression, physical, mental, and uh, even the, the lesser spiritual ones. Uh, because God is in charge of purging the soul. And with how much God desires us to be with him, he'll vigorously test the soul to strengthen it in the dark night. Uh, and he trains the soul to pursue God on its own. Uh, he wants us to go to him, but he wants us to be able to take the reins in our own life. Not just always be drawing us out, um, but he wants us to be able to, to know that we need him and, and want to go to him. Like the other two depressions, spiritual depression must be treated with its like remedy. And it requires a spiritual curative, confession for the sinful soul, and faithful perseverance for the advanced soul. Although for many and all people, the thought of Jesus making himself always available to us in the tabernacle as the Holy Eucharist, that should dispel any thoughts that we have of weariness or loneliness, because Jesus never grows tired of us. He's our best and truest friend in this life, and he loves us with an infinite love. And he wants us to be with him. That's the difference that having faith can make in a person's life, knowing that you're never alone. Uh, the Catholic faith gives us correct answers to life's big questions, and it helps us make sense out of who God is and who we are and what our purpose is in life and how we're to live our lives. 
uh, it's uh, that guide for living virtuously, living well, and attaining you know our ultimate beatitude in the Lord. Many have people have to cope with depression of one type or another at some point in their lives, and as society moves further away from God, you'll find that more and more people are going to become depressed, especially mentally and spiritually. Uh, but with the overlap in us humans, it, it might look physical or if they're just pursuing physical means to correct their, their mental or spiritual uh, depression, uh, don't, don't get caught on what they're trying to do to fix it. Right? Always try to find the actual root of it, not just the way they're treating it. But once again, right, health, health, faith helps us get at the root cause of depression, whatever that might be. Uh, so whether that causes a way of thinking or due to a way of living uh, or just you know, some, some neurons misfiring in our brains, uh, faith kind of gives us a whole picture of the person to be able to look at what's going on here. Because uh, medical science, it can't see that. Psychology can't see that. They're sort of blind to all things faith. And they won't see the connection between uh, sinful living and uh, a person getting very down on themselves. <coughs> uh, but looking at the big picture, taking a, a step back, God didn't make us to be depressed. He made us to be happy. But that happiness doesn't come until the next life. And it's only for those who prove uh, that they love him here and now in this one. So in the meantime, know that depression can feel overwhelming, but finding the cause of it will give you an idea of what you have to do to, to deal with it and, and overcome it. And if you don't do something about your depression, you're going to remain depressed. So you should absolutely try to, to figure out what's going on and, and and try to find the correct cure for it. Because if you find the, the wrong cure, then you're going to stay depressed. You might just be treating the symptoms and you'll be you'll have the same uh, way of thinking as you, you go on with life. But if you rely on God and you put the work in that he wants you to, you can overcome it by not letting depression rule your life. So that's all I have to say about that for now. Does anyone have any questions? Father, can you give an example of a physical depression? Yeah, a physical depression would be something with uh, any neurotransmitters. Like people with Parkinson's have decreased dopamine levels. Um, or uh, was it bipolar? Sometimes they'll have, I forget what the chemical is. It might be serotonin. You know, it's really uh, lots of levels higher than they should be and then levels that are much lower than they should be. Right. So like manic depressive people uh, and, and people with bipolar it's the it's it's physically like their brain does not produce the right chemicals. Okay. Yeah. Is that similar to a mental depression then? The mental depression is more about how you view life, right? Your frame of mind, how you approach things. Yeah, more in the the way of psychology. Okay. Right, because you can't treat that if you're thinking about life in the wrong way that it's all about you, right? And what you can get mm -hmm. out of everything. You can't treat that with a pill. You can treat chemical imbalances with pills, right? Physical, pills are physical, and that's a physical solution. But you'd have to change the person's outlook if you wanted to see a shift in them more towards virtuous living. Yeah. Father, you said that there's three different types of depression. Well, I there's more than that, but I... I, the way I divided them for this talk and our purposes is to 
look at the causes of depression, whether it's physical, mental, or spiritual. Yeah. Say you have a friend that they mm -hmm. confide in you that they're depressed and maybe it's not worth going out. Mm -hmm. Who would you refer them to? I, you know, if you have somebody to try to talk mm -hmm. to, I'm sure. But in, in this instance, of course, the spiritual, you refer them to a priest. Mm -hmm. What about the other instances? How would you analyze and find out? You yeah. can't really analyze what's the problem, but what's yeah. the best step to go? Yeah, it depends how far along. If they just seem a little blue, right, then you can you know, just talk with them, see if you can find out kind of what's going on and, you know, just, just sort of be there for them and see where that goes. But if, if it seems like they have some sort of plan or they're working towards something, that's when there are these sort of suicide prevention hotlines out there that you can call and you can get some advice what to do from there. And they'll actually uh, come and check on your friend, whoever it might be, and make sure that he doesn't do anything, you know, kind of try to talk them down and, and give them a give them a way out of of that depression but what's, what's interesting with certain pills uh, antidepressants is that they'll give them to someone and you'll see on the, the bottle one of the side effects is suicide and that's because they might have been a little too depressed to do anything about all right the way that they feel or the way that they think but now all of a sudden the pills make them feel a little bit happier and they haven't addressed the mental issues right the way they think about life and so they all now, now they have enough energy to go and do, you know what they what they shouldn't be doing, right? To, to end their life, they didn't they didn't have that get up and go before, but now the pills have done that, without really looking at the the whole approach of the person. So. Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. So it's a drop.